Well, so good to see you today. A bunch of world changers. Always remember, that's what you are. I know that from my upbringing in church that if we rally together, we can do a lot of good works. And there's quick results. But it's not going to be what revival is. And so for you on your walk, it means a walk that kind of like the Apostle Paul had, where he never got to see the actual fruit in front of him as he was walking to his goal. You know, can you imagine being shipwrecked and and laid out in the ocean in the deep, swimming? I don't know if they had life jackets back then, but having to tread water to survive and wonder what's going on. Did God Is God angry at you? You better know who you are. Otherwise, the devil will blame everything on God being angry at you or you failing. You better know who you are on this walk. That way, when hard times come or the battle comes against you, you don't question your path. You don't question the path you're on. I see people determined. They start at the start line. God told me, this is my my race. They start running and they hit the first hill. <laughs> Like, well, I don't know if this is really my race. Maybe I, I took the wrong path. Maybe I was supposed to take that other race over there. And during the heel, when it's hard, that's when they begin to question. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I miss God. That's not the time to question. That's the time to trust what God told you. Hallelujah. You are on a good path. It's a path of great victory. Can you imagine God wants to birth a revival, bring a revival forward through us? through anyone who will do it. But a revival means you deal daily with the impossible. You deal daily with the impossible. You know, it's. I remember when I first prayed for a little girl in Arkansas. She was a, a young lady, maybe before her teens, maybe 10 years old and deaf. And I watched God heal her. And I didn't pray for her. She was on the front. front. I mean, I prayed for her. I didn't lay hands on her. And she melted, and her mom melted with her as she received her healing. You know, and you would think, oh, this is it. It'll be easy from now on. But then the next deaf person, I had questions, you know, how I couldn't get it to happen. And uh, the first time I had a, a lady come, and she was in a wheelchair. She was, all of her limbs were not working. She had a disease that ate away at her spine. And her friends brought her there. She was determined to get healed. I always say she got healed on her faith, not on my faith. But she she brought high heel high heeled shoes, and uh, had her friends bring her to the altar and stand her up. She had four friends holding her up while I prayed for her, and she fell on the ground. Uh, she got up on her own and started to dance in her high heels, completely healed. And I thought of that service. I was young at that time. I was. 25 maybe, and I thought, oh, well, we're going to have revival next, because it was another night coming. And what I found was there wasn't a great spark of people. The church didn't grow automatically because we had a miracle. And, and I thought for me, oh, we had this miracle. Praise God, I'll be good to go for the next 10 people who are in wheelchairs. It didn't work that way. And uh, But what we're after is a revival where every single person gets healed every time. And it's not by a gift. It's not by a special 
uh, anointing is by authority that we know who we are in Christ and God's able to use our authority. God's always had the power to do miracles. He's just lacking in the authority to do that. And when we give him the authority of our calling, that means that we, we pursue God, we pursue the anointing. Can I, t- can I tell you how many people I've run into who pray so they get anointed? Pray so they get used by God? How many people I know pray so that God will use them? And how few people really pray so God will build character in them? <laughs> I've been doing this praying, and he's telling me to love my neighbor. I just want to be used of God because there's a, a way that you could offer healing to people so they won't look at your insecurity, your fear, your lack of character. But when you look at the Paul described leaders in the church, who's qualified to be used in the church it is always characteristics of holiness, of love, of maturity. You don't see anywhere in Paul's listing of, of what's necessary to be respected in the church as a leader as, can he hear God? Is he anointed? Does he have miracles? Does he or she speak as a prophet exactly what you had for dinner? There's none of that in the mentioning of the leaders of the church. It's all holiness, characteristics of love, maturity, having your home in order. <laughs> it's like, what does that have to do with anointing? You know, having my home in order has everything to do with it because God always wants to plan the long game. The long game means not just a service, but day after day after day. And we, we're believing for a revival where people can bring their, their sick and they're lost and they're broken with confidence that if we go in there, we're not coming out the same. So the impossible is something that we want to live in every single day. We don't want to have, well, Tuesday, sorry, the anointing's not here today. Sorry you brought your, your broken kid here. Um, maybe come back tomorrow. He might be here tomorrow. And a lot of services, of, and, and we appreciate every healing service. But a lot of them, when when 70% of people leave the same, in the same brokenness that they came to the healing crusade for, I see a lot of advertising, come for your miracles, come believing, expecting. And we see them come in and leave the same. I can tell you that was a gift that God used, had to use. He was limited in his authority to do what he wanted to do, which was have every single broken person healed and not leave the same. So it's not that God's lacking in power in himself. He's lacking in the authority to work in through us, through you, through me. And that's the authority that we call love. I, from 1 Corinthians 13, the love, developed, the love of Christ developed in you, brought forward in your life. Not the love of you, the man or the woman, but the love of Christ that you, that you bring forward into your life is the authority that God uses wherever you go to have his power walk through you. That's the authority. If it was his, if he had authority, we'd already have heaven on earth. We wouldn't even need heaven. <laughs> but he has to work through us, through you. So we're on quite the mission. And it's important that as you and I are growing in the love of God, that we don't 
feel like we're failing because we're not there yet. I had one lady uh, tell me, yeah, I just, you know, I know I'm failing. I'm, so, I'm supposed to be praying, and, and I just hit a, a, a slump where I just can't make myself pray. We call it an impasse, right? Where I just can't make myself pray. There's nothing in me that wants to pray, and, and I feel like I'm failing. And I said, listen, you're in a slump. We've all been there. But the fact that you feel, you feel convicted for not praying tells you you're not lost yet. Because there's a lot of people that go about their whole week and don't even think of spending time in spiritual growth. <laughs> they spend their whole week and don't even think about sitting and praying in tongues or worshiping God. And uh, they don't even think about it. So even if you're going through a slump, you're not failing. You're still succeeding compared to what God has to work with with the rest of us. I think I want to start in 1 Corinthians here. Chapter 15. And this is the the verses he uses to describe uh, the resurrection of the dead. When the trumpet sounds, we receive a new outward body and a new, new outward soul. Verse 35. But someone will say, how are the dead raised? Raised up, and with what body do they come? Foolish one. What you sow is not made alive until it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body. That shall be but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. So Paul's about to describe the new outward body you're going to receive when the trumpet sounds. And that you're wearing the body of your first birth. So let's talk about that. Every seed that's planted produces after the image in the seed. So you take a wheat seed and you plant it in the ground. And somehow that seed knows how to take the minerals and the nutrients from around it and build what's inside of it. And what's inside of it is a, an image of a wheat. And it builds a whole stalk. Same as a corn, same as a tree. Every seed has an image inside of it. And when you plant that seed, it builds the body around it by what seed it is. So if you plant a wheat seed, you get wheat. If you plant a corn seed, you get corn. There's never been a farmer in the history of mankind said, I planted corn and I got barley. What's going on? You know, unless he used the wrong bag, I don't know, maybe that could happen. You know, that's not a smart, there's no smart farmer in the history of the world who's had that. So let's talk about your first birth. Your first birth was really quite amazing. Uh, Your mom and dad got together and they created a seed called you. And you came into existence at that moment of conception. They talk about how when they, they can examine that, there's a little spark that they found somehow. A little light that happens when when conception takes place. And, and that's when you came into existence. God did not cause that spark. That's why the law of Genesis is such an important foundational belief, if you agree with it. It's, it helps you to answer so many questions. So you came into existence the moment you were conceived by your mom and dad. God did not choose to put you there. He did not cause that spark. That came from Adam, from the power he gave Adam and Eve to reproduce. And a seed 
produces after its own kind. So the only body that God could build on you had to do with the seed of Adam. He couldn't just intervene and you, you're you born, I'm going to make you born again before you ever get saved. At, when you were a little child, God came in and, and he brought life to you, made you a child of God before you were even uh, birthed. He couldn't do that. He did it once with Jesus, but he couldn't do it with you. So from Adam till Jesus, everyone born was born with the nature of sin in them. Because that's the nature that Adam had. So we were born after our first seed of Adam. Say amen with that. So that's your first birth. You got your mama's eyes and your daddy's nose and your daddy's lips and your mama's hips. And you, got, you look like your parents because that's where you came from. That was the first seed. Adam was the first seed. Now that's where your first birth came from. Let's go over to Genesis. Genesis chapter 3. We'll start in verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent... Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. You see that? So the seed of the devil, there's lots of theories about it, but it's really simple. Adam was the seed of of God for the human race, the moment Adam sinned, and, and it wasn't an accident. Adam knew what he was doing when he did it. Well, the moment Adam sinned, his nature turned dark. And now Adam, was the seed, who was the seed for the human race, wasn't producing children of light, but producing children of darkness. So the seed of Satan was really Adam. But then he says, there will be a, the enmity between you and the woman between your seed and her seed. Her seed is talking about Jesus. Jesus was the seed for the new family of God. God couldn't fix the human race. He can only rescue them by creating a new family, a new species called the children of God, and allow you, invites you to be born out of the family of Adam, born into the children of God. That's what we call being born again. So your first birth came from the seed of Adam. That means that everything, your body, that was built around that seed was of Adam. It was natural. It was of darkness. Really, we can go back and say it's of Satan, if you want to get technical. Because you, were, you, were, you could only be what the image inside of you, that seed, was, which was a nature of sin. You became a child of sin. You're like, wait a minute, you're calling me a child of sin and your mama. Your mama was also a child of sin. What? How dare you? (laughs) So everything you had before you were saved was from Adam, from that first seat, including your body, including your soul, your mind, will, and emotions. You were completely dark. And then... You got born again. 
Now let's talk about being born again. Let's go to Galatians. Chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verse 15. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men. Though it's only a man's covenant, yet it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed... There were promises made, but he doesn't, does not say, and to the seeds, as of many, but as of one, and your seed, who is Christ. So, Abraham, it was his faith that allowed God to bring Jesus into this earth. That's why Jesus is called the seed of Abraham. And Paul here is saying that the Jewish people who are claiming that they have a right to the promises of God because they're of the seed of Abraham. Paul saying, no, they're of the lineage of Abraham. But the promise was not made to Abraham in his lineage. The promise was made to Abraham and his seed. And that seed was Jesus. See, Abraham, even though he was the father of the Jewish people, you might say, the promise was not to them. The promise was to Abraham and his seed, Christ. So your first birth was to a seed of darkness. That's how you were born. No matter how nice your mom was and your dad and your family, you were born of the human race. So everything about you, your, your natural body, your natural soul, you might say, mind, will, and emotions, or mind, desires, and emotions was all of darkness. And that means that that sweet grandma who came to every soccer game, who cooked you those nice apple pies, and, and gave you a little bit of money here and there. That love was of the love of the world. The love of darkness. As much as it was love, it was of a species of darkness. That's why I say I can take a, uh, some documentary of, of some crazy animal that you hate. Was it, it wasn't an octopus. It was something slimy and ugly of the sea. And it had a little mama protecting its ugly little babies that could poison you if you touched them. And that mama would fight you to your death to save its little babies. And that's an animal. That's a species different than you, different than the human race. But yet it has love. It has those characteristics we call love. It has fear and joy. And, uh, and that's in an animal. Well, you can find love in different species, but that love is from that species. You'll take a, a mama fish swimming through the the Alaskan lakes with her little babies falling around it. And, uh, and a little duck, mama duck will swim down and eat your mama, your baby fish right in front of you and swallow it whole underwater and take it up. And, and her little ducklings will come and, and, and will, will come and attack those little baby fish. And then a little a mama eagle will fly down and take that duckling right in front of the mama and smile at her as she flies off with that little baby duckling and take it to her babies and they'll eat it while it's crying. They'll eat it without mercy. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the nature for you. Well, the love that we have in our first birth is of the natural man. It's of this world. And it's limited as much as you can try to make it 
imitate the love of God. It's limited because it's of the species of the natural man. So you were, before you were saved, the moment you were saved, you came up to the altar, and right before you knelt down, you were a child of darkness, of the seed of darkness. And everything about you came from that seed. There's no other way around it. Your emotions, your love, your body, your looks, your nature was all dark. And then you asked Jesus in your heart, and you received that new nature. And we've learned about the new nature. You have, that old nature was quickened. That word quickened means instantly made perfect from darkness. Instantly made light from darkness. Instantly instantly made righteous from sin. Instantly perfect. You received a new nature. So now you have the seed of Christ in you. Let's look over here in 1 Peter. Chapter 1, verse 23. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed, through the word of God which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass, the grass withers. And the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. So the message of the gospel, Peter saying, was preached to you with the understanding that you were born of an incorruptible seed. That's talking about when you were born again, you received that new nature. That new nature is the seed of Christ in you. So now God has the ability through that seed to build a body around you that is made of the the material that that image in the seed builds. See, before you had the seed of Christ, before you were born again, could you love like Jesus? Could you uh, be holy like Jesus? Could you think like Jesus? Why not? Well, because I was of the seed, the nature of sin, and everything that was built on me, my body, my soul, mind, desires, and emotions, was all dark. So how could I love like light when I'm of darkness? How could I love like holiness when I'm unrighteous? How could I love like righteousness when I'm of sin? It's impossible because you were a child of darkness. That's why Jesus, when he talked to his disciples, who actually sat at Jesus' feet for three years, said, now what I taught you, you don't understand what I'm saying to you. But don't worry, because after you're born again, the Holy Spirit will come and bring back to your memory what I taught you. And then he'll be able to reteach it to you, and you'll be able to understand it, because then you'll be born again. So when you got born again, what happened to you? I can take my two guys, and they bring them to church, and here I got a guy who's a doctor, 50-some years old, got all his hair, healthy, wealthy, has a great family. They're all sitting in church nice and in order, dressed nice, drove up in a nice car. And then one of you brought a homeless guy that you met on the street, and you promised him lunch if he'd come to church. 
And he's sitting there, a little smelly. His family's given up on him. He's given up on himself. And he's a drunkard, and he's homeless. And he's in church. He's 50, same age as the doctor. Well, both of those men, even though one has got his life together, the other one doesn't, are still of the seed of Adam. And so in the spectrum of the seed of Adam, you have brokenness and you have wholeness. You have wealth and you have poverty. You have love and you have hatred. All within the spectrum of darkness of Adam. They're both in church. They both come up and get saved. At that moment that they both get saved, because I preach so well, at that moment that they both get saved, they become light. Their nature was brought to life. Now they have a nature of life, but they're still wearing the body of the first seed. The body of the first seed is the body, the fingers and toes, but also the soul contained in the body, the mind, desires, and emotions, made up of carnal material. It was not fixed. It was left the same. It was left in darkness. It was left dead. Not dead, but in death. That's why you came to church, and you left, and you thought, well, I thought I got saved, but I still have these thoughts, these desires that are against the Word. (laughs) Because you have, God did not, Take away or quicken your outward man. Yet, he will, he will finish the job at the sound of the trumpet. But until then, he left you on this earth wearing the natural man and the natural mind, emotions, and desires of the natural man on you. But you received a new nature. Can you say amen if you're still with me? I'm just going through the... The logic that God's been trying to teach me to follow here. Let's go over to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. In verse 10. They have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge, according to the image of him who created him. So here it talks about, in verse 9, do not lie to one another, since you put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge. So you can see here that the new man is where the renewing of knowledge takes place. According to the image of him, which created him. So whenever you see the word image, that's talking about the new nature. Because the image is in the seed. So whenever you see the word image, that's talking about the new nature. Now, I know you went down to the farmer's market. I think Angie goes there every Saturday. Can you imagine going to these, these little sections of farmers selling their, their, their food? And, and you're like, yeah, I'm going to get some, some cucumbers and some honey, honeydew lemon organic fresh from the farm. And, and and then you go to one booth and he charges the same price as everyone else. You say, I want to take uh, five watermelon because we're going to have a big party. And I'll take some cucumber and uh, some squash. And he comes out with a little bag of seeds. He says, here you go. Uh, wait, wait a minute. What's this? Well, this is, this is your watermelon. This is your squash. I threw an extra squash for you. And this is your cucumber. 
And here's your little baggie. And but it costs you. You're charging me the same as these guys. See why they charge you extra at the is because someone grew them for you from the seed. So you're like, ah, I want my money back. Sorry, no refunds, ma'am. You know, you bought it, you broke it, you bought it. It's yours. You wouldn't go back to him, would you? Well, that's so much how many preachers are today saying, now that you're born again, go act like Jesus, go talk like Jesus, go walk like Jesus. And you know, they're selling seed, and they're, they're promising glory, and they're selling seed. See, the image is within the new man. The nature is within your inner body. So over in Ephesians, we'll go back here. I'm just going back to some of my verses I've been hammering. Chapter 4, in the same type of language, verse 22, Paul says, that you put off concerning the former conduct the old man. The old man is the old body that you're wearing, the old mind, will, and emotions of the natural man that you're wearing that was left on you and was trained and stained by the old nature. You don't have an old nature anymore, but why do you act like it? Why are you tempted by it like you do? You don't have two natures. You don't have an old nature. But your old man, this body, specifically the natural part of your soul that was not quickened, was left in darkness of this earth. And so he says in verse 22, that you put off concerning the former conduct, the old man. Now, why would I have to put that off if I'm already saved? Because you're wearing the body of the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which was created. And Dr. Jim Martin preached that this word created is much like quickened. It means something new made of something old. (laughs) He took the material that was there and brought it to life. Well, this is talking about your inner man, your inner spiritual body. The new man is the spiritual man, the, the inner man. It was also quickened the moment you were saved. It was quickened. You had an inner body and an outward body that were soul connected. They were one. That's why you have a body and you have a soul, even though you ha- it was connected to both realms and you had a nature. But the moment you were saved, he didn't rescue or he didn't fix the outward man. The old man was left on you. But your inner man was brought to life and you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. That's your inner man. So now you have an inner man that was brought to life. An inner body that was brought to life and quickened. But the difference is that inner body wasn't just turned, he didn't just turn the light on. He had to birth it, make it new. And so every bit of knowledge you had in your spiritual mind before, when it was dark, disappeared. And that's and then it was made life. It was rebirth into light. Now let's go. We'll come back to First Peter, but let's go over to First Corinthians again, fifteen. 
Paul here is talking about how we're going to be resurrected from the dead. All flesh is not the same flesh, verse 39. But there is one kind of flesh of man, another flesh of animals, another fish, another birds. There's also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one, the glory of the terrestrial is another. So here he's saying, you're in a whole world where there's different types of bodies. A fish has scales, a bird has feathers, a cow has a hide, you have skin. Even in our natural world, we see that God has designed different bodies. So don't be confused or surprised when I tell you, Paul says, that God's going to give you a new body that's made of celestial material. There's terrestrial bodies made of this earth. That's why the cow eats the grass, I eat the cow, and I get fingernails. How do I, why do my fingernails keep growing? Why is that? Because I ate something, and my body turned it into fingernails. <laughs> and I have to clip them all the time. See, this body is made up of this earth, these minerals. But we're going to get a new body at the sound of the trumpet, a new body that will match the seed of the new nature. But until then, you're wearing the body that matches the seed of your first birth. So you're wearing the body, and and the body contains the natural mind, desires, and emotions of the first birth, of the first seed. You're still wearing that. But when you were born again, he quickened your nature, and your nature went from darkness to light. And then he also quickened your inner body, which means your inner body, its soul, this part of the soul, the spiritual side of the soul, mind, emotions, and desires, was brought to light, made righteous in true righteousness and holiness. So now your inner man is righteous and holy, made of righteous and holy of the seed of Christ in you. So when you pray in tongues, when God speaks to you, he speaks to you spirit to spirit. He bypasses your natural man because he's not your natural man. He's not the father of your natural man. He's the father of your inner man. He's not the father of your flesh. He's the father of your spirit. So when you pray and seek God, well, let's, before I go on to that, let's keep going. Uh, verse 41. There's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For one star difference from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. So if you want to know what God thinks about your outward man, your outward emotions, you want to know what God thinks about your outward intellect, he has some names for it. Corruption. Dishonor. (laughs) So also the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown. The body you're wearing is sown in incorruption. It is raised. The new body you'll receive is raised in incorruption. It is sown. This natural body is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Now, the spiritual body, I don't want you to get confused. This is not talking about your inner man. This is talking about your eternal body, the body you'll wear for the rest of eternity. 
that will click onto your inner man and be perfectly as righteous and holy as your inner man is, as your new nature is. But until then, you're still wearing the outward man of your first birth. And as much as you try to make it love, it doesn't have the capacity to love like Jesus. Because it's not of his seed, it's of a different species. As much as you want to make it understand the word of God, it'll never understand the word of God. Because the word of God is written to your spiritual inner man, to the, by the nature of Christ. The word of God is not written to another species. I can take a, a Mozart or some famous composer and play his music in my house. And I'll sit there and I might enjoy it and think, wow, that's really really incredible. They say that most music is really based off of three or four really talented men and women in the past. And it's just recopied and changed a little bit. Most poetry is built on poetry that was birthed by three or four guys or girls back in the past and just kind of re-emerged later on. So I can take a Mozart, who's a genius in the natural, and, and play his music. I can sit there and I can think, wow, that's really beautiful. Wow, that's really, that really, wow. And my dog could sit there and go, hmm, I hear noise. <laughs> See, Mozart was not written to the dogs. It was written to the human species. Well, the same thing, the Word of God is not written to the human understanding. It's written to his children to understand. So when you were born again, what part of you became light and what part was left dark? That's very important for you to understand. There's parts of you left dark. Verse 45. As it was written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So Adam gave you your existence but Jesus gave you your new nature. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward the spiritual. Now, that's what it means. It doesn't mean, well, you know, I heard one preacher say, well, you have to first act out in the natural, then the spiritual will come. So if you don't have faith, give anyway. Anyway, just give what I told you to anyway, and then the, the faith will come after you give your donation. That's a verse someone used, used against me one time. But he's saying that you had to first be born in the first Adam for God to find you so you can be born again into his family. The first man was of the earth made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have been born the image of man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. There's no way that God can mix the spiritual and the natural. Behold, I tell you mystery, we shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, incorruptible, and we shall be changed. 
For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal, talking about your natural body, must put on immortality, the natural body you're wearing. And so when the corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying, which is written, death is swallowed up in victory. So in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, if you're on the earth, God will quicken your natural body. You know, we have different movies telling about how, how the rapture is going to happen. Some of them have all these bodies laying on the ground because God took them and they left their bodies. But if you're wearing this body, he doesn't need the material of this body. The new nature is the authority that has already paid for your new body. But he'll take this body and quicken it to a new body. If you're, if you're wearing it, you'll have a new body quickened, instantly turned to light, instantly turned to righteous, instantly turned to eternal. And it will be exactly as righteous as your inner body in your new nature is. Your outward part of your soul, mind, emotions, and desires will be as righteous as the inward part of your soul, mind, desires, and emotions. That's when the trumpet sounds. Well, what do I do now? Well, that's what we say, you mortify the deeds of your body. The deeds of your body is not talking about your fingers and your toes or your hair. It's talking about the soul, the mind, emotions, and desires that belong to the natural man. Let's go over to First Peter, back to First Peter. Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, laying aside all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. So you have to lay those aside. Why do I have to lay those aside if I'm a child of light? Because you're wearing a body that still can generate those emotions. And it feels so much like you. See, that's the problem. The natural man is connected cell for cell with the inner man. The natural soul, mind, emotions, and desires is connected cell for cell with the inner man's mind, emotions, and desires. Click. They're clicked together. They're perfectly in unity. But now the inner man's light and the outward man's dark. And then you have this war for every thought, for every problem. You have two solutions that rise up. One from the natural mind, one from the spiritual mind. For every Situation, you have two emotions that rise up, one from light, one from darkness. And that's why you can be in turmoil with your walk, with your life, and think that I'm just a failure. Oh, I'm just a failure. I've been praying and seeking God, and I feel fear still. Well, you're not trying to turn that fear into happiness. You're actually trying to mortify the fear. See, the trick that the world does, and many churches end up doing, is to get you out of unhappiness. We're going to make you happy. The music, the preaching, everything about the service is designed to get your emotions excited and pumped and emotionally happy. And when you get emotionally happy, you're not emotionally sad. And that's the answer that the world has. The problem with that is once I, once the drug of the church service in the emotional high leaves, you're back to being emotionally down. So if you're going to rely on getting your emotionally emotions high, your natural emotions high, then be careful because you're going to be stuck with your natural emotions low. So chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, 
as newborn babes. Desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. As newborn babes. So this is not a symbolic imagery. This is a practical, real image. When you were born again, the inner body was quickened from darkness to light. But also the inner spiritual part of your soul, mind, emotions, and desires, was quickened to light. But it was born into light. So that means all the knowledge you had in your, in your spiritual man disappeared. It became light. Well, how much knowledge do I have? None. Because you're a baby. You're an infant on the inside. All the emotions that you can generate on the inner man is like a baby. How much love of Christ do you have in you? Oh, about this, this much right there. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. The, real, the image for the love of Christ is in your new nature. It's complete. It's a, inside of your new nature is a full-grown, mature Jesus Christ. The image of him and all of his holiness and all of his love and all of his peace. So what do I do? Can I just say, I am the peace of God. Hallelujah. And am I the peace of God? Well, only if the peace of God has grown on the inside. See, understand that where does the fruit of the new nature grow? If it can't grow in the carnal man, because the carnal man's dark, then the fruit of the new nature must grow in the inner man, because the inner man is the same righteousness as the new nature. When the Holy Spirit of God and all of his holiness and all of his glory talks to me for an hour when I pray in tongues, where does that knowledge go? Where does it go? It doesn't go in your natural mind because your natural mind is of a different species. It goes into your spiritual mind. That's why it says when you pray in tongues, your understanding is unfruitful. It's not that there's not understanding but to your outward intellect, you just jibber-jabbered for two hours or four hours. What good was that? Did you ever hear that when you first started? I remember I, I put my whole Saturday early on and took the whole 10 hours of praying tongues and driving home. I looked in the mirror and I saw myself and I thought, well, this better work. I just spent 10 hours going jabba, jabba, jabba. This better, this better work because I didn't feel anything. No one stopped by my car and say, stop. God told me to give you $1,000. I didn't get any of that. I just went jabba, jabba, jabba for, for 10 hours. This better work. It's because my natural mind said, what are we doing? What good is this? Because everything spiritual, true spiritual, is about spiritual growth. Taking Jesus from the nature and bringing it forward in love in peace, in joy, in holiness, into your inner man in understanding, and then making the outward man not accept it, but bow down to it. You're making your outward soul bow down to the inner soul. So if you're just saved, let's say a person came, our doctor, 50 years old, got his life together, he's wealthy, he's a good man, he's balanced, healthy, his kids are in order, he comes up and gets saved. Can I tell him, now I want you to love like Jesus? I can make that his goal, 
but he has no material in him except he has a, a inner body that has the intellect and capacity to love like a, a newborn babe. He must take the time to go into the Spirit with the Holy Spirit so that the love of Christ will grow inside of his inner man. And then from that love, he can love people with the love of Christ. So it's unfair for me to tell a newborn Christian, now I want you to love like Jesus. Take your neighbor that's being mean to you and love like Jesus. And we try, have the peace of God. We try, but if you have it in you, you don't have to try. It's already there. So I want to encourage you today. As you keep praying and keep worshiping, you're building up the love, the joy, the peace, the intellect of your inner man. And that's where the knowledge of God goes. That's where the love of God goes. But you're still wearing this outward body. You're in the adoption process. But be encouraged, because when you get the new body, the adoption process will be complete. And you'll be born of God completely. But until you get that new body, the adoption process is still in the process. The way the enemy works, let me just shift gears here. I said all of that to say this for today. The enemy works through your natural emotions. That's why you could be doing everything right and you feel like you're doing everything wrong. You feel like you're defeated. You feel like you're a loser. You feel like you're a failure. The little tap on the shoulder. You've been praying for 20 years and look what it's got you. Less friends, less money, less success. <laughs> You've been praying and fasting and look, look what it's got you. No miracles, no revival yet. You're wrong. You're failed. Look at your neighbor. Look at your sister. Look at your brother, how successful they are. And look at little you and that emotion of defeat. The enemy has the ability to take your emotions and turn them up to where your natural emotions will feel defeated and discouraged and failing. So if you understand what I taught today, even just a little bit, you can say, my outward flesh, the natural part of my mind, emotions, and desires, that is carnal, that is of this world, is of the seed of Adam, is telling me I'm a loser, is telling me I'm a failure, is telling me I'm defeated, But the real me, the inner man, says, I am a child of God. I'm right on course. I am a victor. I'm an overcomer. I'm not defeated. I'm winning, not losing. See, when you understand that, you understand the tricks the devil plays to make you feel, you feel, and it's not you, it's your natural man, your natural man's emotions. So much of the church world, the modern church, is introducing spiritual experiences and they're chasing spiritual experiences through the natural man they're not trying to help you to grow up spiritually in the inner man they're talking about if we pray and see god you'll hear god they're learning how to hear god in the spirit but they're not learning how to grow up in god they're learning how to experience god in a spiritual experience the anointing is felt through your natural man I've been married now almost 20 years. My beautiful wife over there, Christy. And I get in trouble when I use this story by the ladies. But, you know, when you first get married, there kind of is a lot of passion involved and uh, a lot of smooches involved. 
But then after 20 years, you get up in the morning, and she's in the bathroom getting ready, and I walk by. My hair's all over. Her hair's all over. She's got no makeup on. And I walk by, and, and I say, love you, love you, babe. And she says, I love you too. And she gives me a little, you know, the morning kiss where you got no, you haven't brushed your teeth yet, so you're being careful not to. Well, there's more love in that little kiss. Because that little kiss says we've been through 20 years of marriage and fighting and growing and building a family. And look at us, we're still together. There's a more love in that little, because that little means commitment. It means integrity. It means we've been together. Then all the passionate kisses we had when we first got married. Spiritual growth is like that. That I don't need to feel God's presence to know that he's with me. Chrissy doesn't need to feel, I don't need to, I mean, that's where I get in trouble from the women, because you should, but I, I shouldn't have to passionately kiss her every single hour of every day to make her feel comfortable that I am your husband, I love you. Because the passion is not where you get that love, it's the 20 years of commitment that proves the love. And so much of the church world is trying to sell a relationship with God through the outward man, which has to do with anointing, with presence. And those things are great. But if that's all you ever chase, you will never grow up. And you'll remain someone always needing a preacher to give you a church service, to give you what God wants to give you alone by yourself. So even if you're feeling broken, you're feeling lost, you're feeling defeated, All you have to do, and it's easier said than done, I know, because I've been there lots of times. I've been there lots of times where I pray and I don't think it's doing anything. I've been in there lots of times when I worship and it doesn't feel like anything's changing. Been there lots of times even when I preach and I don't feel anything. When I first preached, I'd pray for people and I'd feel lightning go through my hands, like down my arm, and I felt it. I felt God's presence zap people every time I pray for them for my first many years of ministry. And then one day I left. I couldn't feel it anymore. No more zap. I said, God, did you leave me? What's wrong? And he he taught me. He said, pray for them. Watch. And they get healed. And he said, do you feel it? No. He said, good. You need to have faith that I'm here. Not feel it. You need to know and have confidence that I'm here. And not just because you feel it. So many churches are building a relationship with God where it doesn't allow you to grow up. It allows you to receive, and it's through their outward man. I, I can't, I'm getting to where, I'll call it integrity. I'm getting to where God's forcing me in integrity. I don't know if it's forcing me, but I can't say things that I can't promise will happen. I can't make promises to you I can't give you words, I can't say things to encourage you that I can't promise will happen. I cannot say revival will be here next year. I can't say that. Because I can't promise you we'll have a room full of healed children next year. I can promise you that if we stay on this course, that's what we'll get. That's God's heart. That's God's will. That's God's desire. He's looking for any vessels. And yes, we are not the only one, but I also want you to understand, don't confuse what we're doing 
with what other people call revival. There's many people who are saying they're in revival, but it's no different than what happened many years ago in church services that I was in. Revival, if it's true, means that we stand as Jesus stood. And then God has the same authority to work through us that he did with Jesus, which means that every single person who's broken, who's sick, gets prayed for, they get healed because God has all the authority that he needed in us. So if it's 20%, that's not revival. That's nice, and praise God for it. We don't want it to stop. We want them to keep going and keep doing a good work. But that's not the work you've been assigned to. That's why I say every time I preach, God, I thank you. How do you believe in me this much? How can you love me this much, think this much of me, that you put me on this course to go to the impossible? And the integrity that's being built in me by the Spirit says, I can't accept something as less as being the fullness of God. I can appreciate it. I'm thankful for it. Go do it. Be blessed. But don't say it's the path that I'm on because it's not the path that I'm on. The path that I'm on is costing everything. It's not easy. It's, it's a fight in the trenches every day. The devil uses um, emotional warfare against you, psychological warfare against you, and you're in the trenches every day in your own mind, in your own thought process. Am I still saved? <laughs> you know, what good am I? What good have I done in my life? My neighbor who goes out and all they do is win souls. That's it. They don't pray. They don't say, God, he's got 20 people saved this week or this year. I've, I've got two maybe, you know, and, and he's got 20. What good is this? What good am I doing? You're growing up. God's more interested in you growing than stopping you to stay where you're at to do a little work. And the reason why he puts you on this mission is because you got what you need to finish it. So even if you don't feel like it, you know what you do when you don't feel like it? You get up and do it anyway. That's called being a grown-up. You get up and do it anyway. The one commercial where the, the, the mom, this lady sticks her head in the door and says, Sue, um, I'm not feeling well today. Her nose is red. Her eyes are red from fighting a cold. I'm not feeling well today. <laughs> I won't be able to come in. I won't be able to work today. And then the camera pans over from the door, and there's a little girl named Sue in, a, in her crib. And the commercial says, there's no sick days for mothers. <laughs> and then it says, you know, buy our medicine to help you with your cold. There's no sick days for mothers. That You still have to show up even if you're sick. You can't, you can't just say, I, I'm taking a day off. How many Christians live their life, spiritual Christians live their life, able to take a day off when they don't feel happy? The fact is a grown-up, if you're mature, you don't have to feel it. You don't have to be excited about it. You get up and you do it. Let's keep pressing in because we're on a great path. God really does believe in you. Amen. You are dismissed. We'll see you at 10 o'clock.